Hey, Jason. Hey, Doug. <laughs> welcome back to another episode. Thank you. Well, you know what? Welcome back, you also, <laughs> and you at home or in the car, wherever you are. Expertly said. Thank you. <laughs> this is Doable Discipleship. You probably know, but if you don't, it's a Saddleback Church podcast and YouTube show designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, or as we call it, the show that helps you grow. <laughs> It's really getting out of hand. <laughs> I don't plan any of them. They just come to me as come. I'm saying them. That's impressive. Thank you. Uh, what are we talking about today? Today, oh yeah. Um, guys, we are in part three of our series on a Bible crash course. We've talked about uh, just an overview of the Bible, what it is, why we can trust it. Um, and then last week we talked about Bible genres, which was a really fun conversation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, today we get to talk about Bible authors. Um, so I spoiled what we're doing. But anyway, <laughs> I was only supposed to say um, that, that the Bible's an integral part of the Christian faith and, and life. And um, But so many of us don't have a clue how to study it. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, let me just take it from here. So thanks. we've been doing this crash course on Bible study to help you get a grip on the Bible. Help take some of the mystery out of it, some of the fear out of it, and just help you really just dig in and read it for all it's worth. Uh we did have a couple of things we wanted to point out oh, before yes. we jump in. Sure, Just want to make sure. Um, guys, uh, don't don't forget. Stay through to the end of the episode because this show is called Doable Discipleship. And guess what? Every episode we hit on some doables, some things. How do you, how can you put what we've been talking about into practice? Um, and so at, that's at the end of every episode we hit doables. Don't forget. Stay through to the end. Uh, secondly... Um, it's always a great help to the show if you would give a rating and review either on iTunes or you can hit the like button on YouTube. Hit, uh, hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it, it always gives the show a little bit of a boost, and we always love that. So we and we appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, you might remember from the first episode in this series, we talked about how the Bible uh, was not just written by one human author, but by about 40 authors over the span of about 1,500 years. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about... Uh, the people that God used to bring his word into existence here with us. So we're going to be talking about authors of the Bible today and why it's important that you kind of have a good understanding of who they are, what they're all about, uh, and how that influences your reading and interpretation of the Bible. So stay tuned. We're going to be digging into that with our good friend, Linda Tokar. She's back. She's back again in just one second. back i am hello second appearance on the show yay everyone's Super been begging excited. to have you back and here you are we felt the clamor the clamor yeah of bring her back she's smarter than you guys and here you not are. clatter not to be confused with a clatter, rose like such a the, clatter like in the christmas story which right. is an unseasonable <laughs> reference <laughs> it's been 100 degrees for a month i miss christmas well today we're talking about authors and yes. you're gonna help us do that linda we're very excited to do so um let's start off with some interesting facts. Do you have any? I do. Um, the first thing that you find as you begin to study the Bible is that the the guys that God used came from all walks of life. They weren't all super educated religious guys. Mm-hmm. They were fishermen. They were some, there were some kings. Daniel chapter four was written by Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't even a believer yeah. when he wrote it, right? There was a tax collector, a tent maker. There were, Luke was a doctor. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he writes both Luke and Dr. Acts. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, love him. Mm-hmm. There were shepherds, there were prophets, there were priests. So there were people from all walks of life, um, varying education, varying background. Not the, not the guys that you would most figure God would use. But I think yeah. that's one of the coolest things about God is that he doesn't use us because of who we are. He uses us despite who we are. Yeah. And I think that as we look at some of the guys that God used, it's going to be like, yeah, like I wouldn't have picked that guy. But that was exactly who filled God's purpose in that moment yeah. to tell that part of the story. Yeah, there was there was no uh, conspiracy among these guys to write this. No. <laughs> yeah. These are guys who, first of all, a lot of them didn't overlap in time. Right. Yeah. These are guys like, imagine a dinner party between these guys. Like, imagine if you put all the Bible authors in one big dinner party. They would not know how to talk to each other. No. <laughs> It'd be like, so what do you, well, I rule the nation of Israel. What do you do? <laughs> I fish. <laughs> and not well sometimes. Yeah. Not always well. Sometimes I need supernatural help to get a decent catch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So these are guys that came from, it, it just ran the gamut. Like these people came from all different corners of society, mm-hmm. which is really cool, which is really I think. Cool. Next up, uh, these are people who were spread over about 1,500 years of ancient history. Right. So again, like we said, we mentioned this in, in the first week, but these are not authors who were in cahoots and trying yeah. to to bring something about. This is no, there's no Illuminati to this. It's purely no like this is something that god did through people who are completely no collusion How sorry couldn't read dare me. you madam sorry <laughs> but there wasn't there wasn't yes we're reclaiming that word on the show today yeah there was no there was no teaming up to do this they were used by god separately absolutely and it's the fact that they were able to still deliver such a clear and uh and coherent right message that is so incredibly powerful. If you remember what the Bible is, a compilation of documents right. from lots of different authors over a long span of time, it starts getting really remarkable. Right, it does. right. And um, in our first week, we talked about inspiration. We talked right. about how God is the author. He used humans. Um, and what's so cool is that is that you can see the individual qualities of each of these authors play out. Right. And God used these you know, in the inspiration of the word. As right. they were right, he said, hey, I like how this guy does this. Let's write, right. you know, mm. let's say this. And, yeah. and you can just see it all throughout scripture. So examples you got. You got David's creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, songwriter. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, John's, his tenderness. We got Luke's attention to detail. Guys, Luke and Acts. So much detail. He was a doctor, which we just talked right. about. He's got to mm-hmm. have a t- attention to detail. You have Peter's passion. Uh, Peter is totally passionate. Ear dude. chopping. Yeah. Yeah. Mouthing off. I would never do Pastor Rick likes yeah. to call him Mr. Impetuous yeah. or Mr. Foot and Mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and That's then how there, we all want to be remembered, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Paul's tenacity, and you can see that all throughout his epistles. Um, he's a guy who's like beaten, thrown out of the city, and gets back up and walks back in. I'm yeah. going back through the guys. <laughs> yeah. You can't oh, run me out. Is that all you got? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shipwrecked. I'm good. Let's keep going. Um, and, got, and in the original languages, which was mostly Greek and Hebrew, right. we can see their different styles and their different vocabularies. And mm-hmm. each... You know, all these different books, all these different authors, as you can see that there are differences, that they were written by individuals. Right. So yeah. it's not like one person later, you know, just 
wrote all this is you can see each in all the different books that there's different styles used. There's different a vocabulary used. There's different mm-hmm. ways of writing that were used, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's it's so interesting as you think about the authors uh, yeah. I, 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 to to consider their personalities in mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and li- like uh, like the vocabulary thing that you mentioned, like you can see the different education levels of different sure. authors, and sure. it's really cool yeah. to see God using people from every walk of life, from every. Uh, socioeconomic background from every education level and he's still using them to do this powerful work of bringing his word yeah. into mm-hmm. concrete existence yeah yeah really cool uh you, go ahead say what you were gonna well, say well no because i i glanced down i realized that i'd be jumping the gun to the next oh, outline oh, point you know right. gotta try to keep i already did that this episode only one gun jump <laughs> yeah. before yeah. yes yes well let's talk about uh, understanding the author and and really why it matters that we understand the author right. um it's easy for this to just Kind of, kind of get thrown aside, and we just read the Bible as if it's just one big chunk from one right. writer. And then we, what we do then, which is problematic, is we read every passage the same way. Yeah. And just as we talked about last week, we need to respect the difference in genre, but there are also aspects about the author, and more specifically, the author's situation in time right. that is extremely mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We mentioned last week that uh, when it comes to interpreting any Bible text... And actually, any piece of writing ever, anywhere, even right. your own emails, um, <laughs> the key to understanding what is written is context. Absolutely. You've got to get context. If you don't have context, you have pretext, which is useless. So uh, a couple things that are important when it comes to understanding the author and why that matters. The first is that every author wrote within a historical context. Mm-hmm. So they represent a cross-section, a, a slice in time that needs to be understood. Something right. led up to that moment. Something came out of that moment, and there were things happening in that moment that really add to a rich understanding of the text and what this person was actually writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that can involve things like current events, just the things that were happening around that person at the time. And you guys can throw other examples in here if you've got any that come to mind. But one example that um, came up recently, uh, uh, mm-hmm. one of our um, one of the ladies that works with us on the, on our team, the spiritual maturity team, brought up. She was asking about the Book of Judges. Mm-hmm. She's like, "What do you do with the Book of Judges? It is a bonkers book. You know, mm-hmm. crazy stuff is happening. It's um, extremely off putting. It really clashes with like the modern reader's sensibilities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it can be a, a challenging book to interpret. But um, that represents a period of history that actually gives us a deep glimpse into um, into what life is like without the help of godly leadership right. and without submission to God and His commands and mm-hmm. to His laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyone who <clears throat> who's not familiar with the book of Judges, Judges deals with the period of time after God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, takes them through their wilderness wandering, and brings them into the promised land, right. um, the land of Canaan, and it deals with a few things, the conflict between the Israelites as they're, as they're gradually taking over the land, um, their issues with like tribal conflict and stuff like that, fighting against the people that occupied the land already. But there's a phrase that's repeated throughout the book of Judges that uh, in those days, Israel had no king. And there's this idea there, you have this, this period of time before the monarchy is set right. up, before right. um, you have the nation of Israel actually coalescing into an, into an actual um, like centrally operated nation. And it's a time of real 
uh, on a certain level, there's a, a period of anarchy where people right. aren't submitted to God, they aren't being led by anyone, and it's a lot of just warring factions and stuff going on. And four times in the book, we see that same phrase, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Exactly. So when you read the book of Judges, for example, if you read that incorrectly, through the lens of like, oh, this, so this is all okay to God? This is in the Bible. Does that mean this is all okay to God? No. The book of Judges is a prime example of human beings in complete disarray because of their rebellion against God uh, and their lack of obedience to his commands. So it's it's really key that we, we get the situation and time of what was going on and why that matters. And that was a book that was used within the monarchy as a big... Um, as sort of a, a looking back on this is where we came from and this is mm-hmm. what God has brought us into today. Go Can ahead. I like make a Go side ahead. note? I'm yes, dying. Yes, please, please, please. <laughs> you just said that you kind of referenced the fact that does God agree with it because it's in the Bible? Mm. Like this is like a little Bible side note for us all. Yeah. God doesn't approve of everything that's recorded in the Bible, yes. but it recorded what happened. Mm-hmm. The foibles, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. And I think that that's just it's such a great thing to remember right? is that number one, that points to the authenticity of it because mm-hmm. who's going to write something and paint themselves in a bad light. Totally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless God is directing you to do so, but also just to remember that God doesn't condone everything that the Bible talks about. Yeah. And so that, I mean, he brings lessons from that and he uses it to teach us, but that doesn't mean he condones it. So. Yeah. That, that's one of the interpretive keys that we talked about last week mm-hmm. that whenever you're reading, especially a passage of scripture that deals with, um, with a historical record, yeah. you've got to remember that just because an event is recorded doesn't mean that it is approved of by right. God. And that is a key distinction. There are some parts of the Bible that are there just to scare you enough to make you never do right. what got those people into that situation. Right. So everyone doing what is right in their own eyes leads to pandemonium. That's what the book of Judges conveys to yeah. us. Yeah. It's not saying that it's okay to go out and do these horrible, horrible, right. you know, human rights violations and these atrocities. It's saying that that's the kind of stuff that results when people reject their maker. Mm -hmm. That is an important distinction. Uh, So understanding current events is really important. Another example of that um, is like when you read the book of Daniel, Mm -hmm. um, Daniel's one we bring up at Saddleback pretty often just because he's he's a great go-to guy when it comes to a lot of different values and a lot of important things. Um, But understanding where he is in time and what's going on, because you're dealing with a guy who's actually living in a foreign nation which involves foreign customs and foreign words, like names that they were given mm-hmm, and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But Daniel was a guy who, had, as, a young, as a young kid, was taken into captivity. Yeah, he's a prisoner in what, of war. 586 or whatever it was, when the Babylonians finally wiped out mm-hmm. Jerusalem, cap, you know, took the city captive, broke down the walls, just mm-hmm. utterly decimated, wiped out the temple, a lot of really, really uh, devastating stuff for the nation of Israel. Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon. And then you have this whole this whole long storyline of his life where he lives through several kings and yeah. a lot of really wild stuff. But he he occupies a really unique piece of time and um, we can gain a lot of, of a richer understanding of this uh, Israelite guy living in a foreign nation, uh, involved in all these foreign practices and how he towed the line between um, submitting to the leadership that God mm-hmm. had allowed to overwhelm right. Israel while also... Um, while also submitting to God first and foremost, mm-hmm. and kind of how that how that played out in his life. So understanding uh, historical context is key. I don't know if you guys have any other examples on that. We can move on um, to ancient customs and norms. Anything else? Let's those talk about ancient examples. customs. Huh? I said those are great examples. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so th- another another 
another way that we understand the author's historical context is by understanding the customs that were sure, referenced in, in the Bible. And there are a lot of simple ones, and, and there are some that are very complex. There are some that we can talk about um, very briefly. But I think some of the simpler examples would be um, in both Old and New Testaments, you hear about people tearing their garments. Yeah. And we're like, that's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know what... Wearing burlap. Yeah, or sackcloth and ashes, yeah, yeah that kind of stuff. Ew. But so, so you read about people tearing their garments. You read about it. Um, the high priest did it when, mm-hmm. when um, Jesus made a statement that implied that he was God, and he, you know, he rips his clothes because he thinks it's blasphemy, all this stuff. But tearing of garments in ancient Israel was a symbol of anguish or outrage, right. where right. you would tear your garments to show, like, uh, you are so, uh, so overcome, yeah. overcome with grief or. Uh, anger about what despair. you've just seen, despair, mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it was, it was a very strong outward expression. Um, we would read that as modern readers and go like, oh, man. That's weird. That, that sucks. Was I kind of wish we brought that shirt? back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. For sure. I don't want to be buying clothes all the time, though. <laughs> no, no that's, that's an expensive proposition. I think another great one is when you read in the New Testament, you see um, in the book of John, what is it, chapter, I think it's chapter 2, um, where Jesus attends the wedding at Cana, mm-hmm. and it's his first public miracle. Right. Uh, he's there. He's with his mom. He's with some of his disciples at the time. They've kind of, he's kind of big, he's kind of ramping up for his ministry and all that stuff. He's at this wedding, and there's a crisis. Did I get it right? The very beginning of John two. Good job, Blamo. Um, Jesus is there, and there's a crisis, which is the um, the family who's hosting the wedding is running out of wine. They right. ran out of wine. It's way too early in the wedding. These would be long celebrations. And um, Jesus' first miracle is that he tells his disciples, you know, get these containers of water. And long story short, he turns water into wine. It's a classic, it's a classic uh, kind of proverbial miracle that Jesus did. And that's his first, his first public miracle. Now, <clears throat> without understanding some of the context of that and, and cultural customs of the day, that can seem like a very... Doesn't that just seem like a little bit of a frivolous miracle? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like the most important thing he had to do that day was save to the party. make wine. You yeah. know, like they to, couldn't just drink the water to keep yeah. a party from going. Yeah. You know, but what we what we understand if we start to understand the context of the day right. mm-hmm. is that that would have been an, a moment of terrible shame for that family. They yeah. would have been shamed publicly for running out of wine earlier, running out of food. It was a huge breach of hospitality, mm-hmm. and that would have been an an outrageous. Uh, point of shame that that family never would have lived it's down. It's the first major example of a party foul. <laughs> yes. First recorded party foul. <laughs> Arguably there were others. I think the writing on the wall oh, was a I bit of a, so, that yeah, kind of okay. crashed it too yeah. Yeah. <laughs> back in Daniel. <laughs> but we think, okay, okay, making wine, that seems like a bit of a, that seems like kind of a cheap first miracle. But what we can realize if we dig into it a little bit more is that Jesus was actually making a powerful statement about his ultimate mission, which mm-hmm. was to cover the shame of, mm-hmm. of human beings who are, who are sinful and mm-hmm. who are separated from God. So good. And so the covering of shame that Jesus did in that miracle is actually a lot richer than just quenching everybody's thirst, making sure they had good wine. Right. <clears throat> and he did make some good wine, according to the text. Because <laughs> everyone <laughs> so exclaims, like, you saved the best for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was probably an interesting evening. I would have loved to, to check that out. Anyway, uh, or foot washing is another one. I mean, foot washing is something that's completely off modern radar. We don't think of right. that. But that was a that was a important part of ancient hospitality mm-hmm. uh, and an expression of humility. So when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, understanding the context of that, it really adds a lot of uh, weight to the story, a lot yeah. of power to it. So we got to understand 
where our author is situated in time and the historical context involved. Yeah, and then we also want to understand each author's unique perspective and emphasis. Um, so we got a couple of great examples of this. So we have Luke. We've talked about Luke a couple of times already in this episode, but he's a great example because he was he was a doctor and, and a thorough historian, right? So he kept meticulous details. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he recounted the gospel through a Gentile lens. Right. So this was a, a completely kind of different look because... It, it, because the gospel message was was just kind of moving towards the Gentiles, and, and that's what we start to see in Acts and, and beyond, and and so we have this different lens because Matthew was a Jew was a tax collector, right? And you have uh, uh, the other gospels are written for a Jewish audience, mm-hmm. and Luke is written to from a completely different perspective, yeah. It, and this is a perspective that doesn't necessarily have the background of the Jewish culture coming right. through it. And so you get a different look, and and that's why there's so much emphasis in different areas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I've talked to people who, you know, they started reading the Bible, they got a New Testament, they, they read Matthew, they got to the end of Matthew, got to Mark. I'm like, it's kind of the this same is, story. Yeah, <laughs> didn't I just saying. read? Then they get to Luke. And you get the whole birth narrative this yeah, start. Yeah, you're like, beginning. wait, we didn't even talk about that yet. And but just beginning to recognize, like you referenced, that Matthew, as a Jewish tax collector, in his gospel, he says, I mean, it's many, many times this happened to fulfill what was written yeah. by so and so the prophet, because his whole purpose was to show Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah. But Luke, that was not his concern at all. He shows the humanity of Jesus. When mm-hmm. you read, uh, you read more stories in the Gospel of Luke about. Jesus crying or Jesus mm-hmm. being hungry or, you know, all the things, the emotions of Jesus and the humanity mm-hmm. of Jesus that you don't get as much of in Matthew. Yeah, right. it's such a great personal <clears throat> profile of Jesus. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John then give us a full profile of sure. who Jesus is, mm-hmm. but each one came at it. You know, John, who, you know, you know, you had the 12, and then you had Peter, James, and John, and they got to see some really cool stuff that the other guys didn't get yeah. to see. I mean, yeah. I would have loved to, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fly on the wall for, with those guys, but... Yeah, can I uh, join you for the Transfiguration, please? <laughs> right? <laughs> is, is there room for one more? <laughs> you got a plus one. <laughs> it's a big mountain, right? But then when he writes his gospel, he focuses on the divinity of Christ Yeah, yeah. in ways that the other guys didn't, but then he had a perspective and an experiences with Jesus that the other guys didn't have. And so I love that you can see... And as we as as we look at inspiration, as God, over all of this, is is, you, is we can really appreciate that God God used four different perspectives to write one message, which is the story of the life of Jesus Christ. Right, mm-hmm. right. Imagine if if we had just had one of the Gospels. It would be almost like not. It would be totally different, or we'd have a different view because mm-hmm. something, one element, would be missing. It's a different right. vantage point. It's a different vantage point, and yeah. so this way we get a complete look. And I just love that God, in His knowledge and wisdom, thought to use four different accounts. Totally yeah. different. Yeah. One, one other thing on Luke too that I always appreciate that that really that really jumps out as like a a kind of a defining aspect of his style is that with Luke you see. You see the explanation of terms with Luke. He sure. explains terms that would have made obvious sense to a Hebrew audience, but would have not have made sense to a Gentile audience. Right. So you see him saying like, "Well, this festival is this," or uh, you know, and it helps re- us reference the teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it is because we're Gentile readers. Yeah. <laughs> so so he kind of takes the helpful angle there, saying, "Well, th- this happened, and that this is what that is, or this is how that." This is how that's understood by Hebrew people or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's really cool to see how the different approaches 
give so much more. Um, it just really fills out the story for us. Yeah. Another great example um, is from Jeremiah. And you see this in the book of Lamentations, which is just written from this completely desolated, crushed spirit. I'm actually in that in my quiet time right now, so mm-hmm. it was a, a fun example to see. And I'm like, and you just, it's just so, so much sorrow and mourning yeah, and in just chapter after chapter of this, but what's not what, but what's also cool is is you can see um, a push for hope too. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at, at the end of almost every chapter is also, but God is this, but God mm-hmm. is this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just so it's so important when you're keeping it, uh, to look at each author from what the perspective is and what they're emphasizing. Jeremiah is a good example Jer- too because yeah. Jeremiah marries the point you've been making that each author has his own perspective Mm -hmm. with the first point, which is that they each have a historical context because Jeremiah is a guy who's lamenting because of the perspective, but also because of the events of his day. Yeah. He was a guy that was a prophet leading up (laughs) to the destruction of Jerusalem. And then right after enough. And he sees it coming. He sees it coming. He warns about it. No one listens. The city's destroyed. And he laments it. I mean, he's a guy who is reflecting on, the total loss of their national identity, yeah. their mm-hmm. loss of their spiritual identity. The temples destroyed. Everything is everything out. about that culture was so connected with with Jerusalem, so mm-hmm. rooted in that in that spiritual and national identity, yeah. and that was completely wiped out. So again, it's like, oh, Lamentations. Oh, that book's a downer. Hold on, you gotta get. Right. That's a book that's a reflection on a terrible thing that happened because people disobeyed God yeah. and they they would not stay faithful to their covenant. And like we talked about last week, um, you have these prophetic writings from guys like Jeremiah and others, all geared toward enforcing the covenant that God had made with with yep. the Israelites. And when people disobeyed and disregarded the covenant for long enough, God eventually uh, issued a consequence for that. Um, so Jeremiah, I think, is a cool example. Um, Let's go on. Yeah. Third, oh, 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 sorry. No, I did. You're chomping to do it. Go. No, well, when I was thinking about this, I thought about Solomon. Yeah. Right? Oh, because yeah. Because when you read in Ecclesiastes, and he, Not he, Ecclesiastics? Is <laughs> so often no. called? But it can be, it can sound like a negative, you know, it's like, ah, oh, everything's meaningless. But if you mm. think about his perspective, he was both the richest man, mm. and he was the wisest, wisest. man, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So... He spoke from the experience of, I mean, anything that you could have wanted in the ancient world, he had. Yeah. So he definitely could speak from the perspective of saying, look, I've literally had it all, mm-hmm. and it's not worth giving away your life for. Yeah. But he also, the wisest, you know, when God said, I'll give you anything, he says, okay, I'll take wisdom. Yeah. So from his, when you read Ecclesiastes, and it's like, man, this guy, like, he had a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> negative guy. Yeah. No, he knew. He knew from experience. And yeah. so it's not, I mean, I'll never, ever, ever have as much as he had. Mm-hmm. And yet I can appreciate the lesson that he teaches me. So I think it was he who said, Mo money, mo problems. Uh, that's a direct yes. quote to Solomon. Yeah. That would be from a paraphrase. We'll talk about translations, <laughs> <laughs> translations next week. <laughs> no, that's a that's an excellent point. Uh, and then third, each author fits within a greater uh, biblical epic. We have to understand that every author fits into a big story yeah. that God is telling over across the whole of human history. Yeah. Um, he's telling a, a story that extends beyond each individual author and each individual in the story, but includes all of them. And it's got various stages in this journey, a lot of, a lot of chapters to this story that God's telling, and no single author captures all of it. But the beauty of, the, of it is that when we take them together, we get a really robust 
um, like you said, multifaceted picture of the story that God is telling. And God's, uh, interestingly, God's chosen to reveal himself gradually. He's, he, he revealed salvation over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we call this progressive revelation, where God has gradually disclosed more of himself to humans over time and, mm-hmm. and brought us along this, this long-term story to um, his ultimate goal, which is you know, a forever relationship with a family that has entered in relationship with him that he loves. A great term for this is God's playing chess, not checkers. <laughs> yes. He's thinking the, it's the long game. Yes. Uh, and so one important key that we kind of alluded to last week and spoke of, but we want to emphasize again this week, is that it means we can't interpret the writings of any individual author in a vacuum. Yeah. We have to understand that every author is fitting into a bigger picture. So we can't we can't take, say, the writings of, of Jeremiah, as we referenced earlier, as um, we can't just take them in isolation. Right. But there is a whole series of events that led up to that and then a whole series of events that followed it and it fits within the bigger narrative and we have to interpret every piece of scripture in light of scripture, in light of the broader, bigger story. I think that's, you know, the application bridge that makes its way into just about everything we do around here. You know, what did it mean to the original hearers? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to, to us? You have to extract the timeless principle, but you do have to start with who was writing it? Who were they writing to? What mm. was going on? Because there's a lot of things that otherwise just don't make a lot of sense and we lose. Mm. I mean, if you tried to take that without understanding where it's coming from and who it's coming from, you can draw principles that aren't actually there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, so, a, that's and, a big problem. Uh, we'll actually link, we, we linked a resource um, several weeks ago. Um, we linked a PDF resource that has the application bridge and some other uh, good Bible study tools on it. So I'll link to that PDF again in this in this week as well. So you have that in the show notes. Uh, why don't we talk some doables? Guys, we told you this was coming. It's doable time. Um, we've been talking about authors today. So a great doable, get to know the authors of the Bible. Um, as we talked about um, before, is start to read a book of the Bible. Is pick up a, a Bible, start to read a book, and then. But before you really get into it, get to know a little bit about that author. Learn the context, learn their perspective, and whatnot. And a great way to do that is by getting a study Bible. Um, so, so Doug, right now, if 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 you're watching on YouTube, is holding up a study Bible. It's big. This is my devotional Bible. Not a study Bible. So I got no info on authors in here, but there's plenty in there. The cool thing about the, and, and this, the one I happen to be using is the New Living Translation um, Study Bible. Well, it's the Life, Life application. application Study Bible, but it's the New Living Translation. And what I dig about it, uh, and this is true of most decent study Bibles, is that at the start of every book, you've got like a whole section that gives you kind of a breakdown of what you're about to get into. So for example, mm-hmm. if I flip to Amos here, everyone just As says, everyone does... Like, I just want to go, little Old Testament book. There's a whole a <laughs> little Old Testament book. It's what I happen to open to. But it's it's got pages that completely set the stage for you. They'll talk about the yeah. setting. It talks about the summary of the book. It'll tell you about the author. It has a section that I really like called uh, uh, Meaning and Message, which kind of helps you boil down what's the what's the main idea that the author's conveying here. Um, a lot of them start with um, the occasion for writing. So what was the, what was the motive behind the writing of this book? Um, but you can get a great little bio on the author you're about to read just by getting a study Bible that has a little bit of preamble before every book. And that can be really helpful. And study Bibles can be expensive. Um, so also there's great online tools and resources. Absolutely. Uh, a blue letter Bible and Bible 
Gateway and all these uh, things, the yeah. Uversion app do have places that you can read about the authors too. Yeah, and we'll we'll reference a lot more of those resources uh, next week's episode as well. But the cool thing about a, a good study Bible is that you don't have to buy it very often, you know. So if, if you change. if you find a good study Bible, <laughs> um, I need that updated version. <laughs> I don't know what I paid for this, probably like fifty bucks or something like that. But it was, I mean, that was probably ten years ago, and I've, mm-hmm. I'm still enjoying. This is still my my quiet time Bible. So yep. you can get a lot of mileage out of a good study Bible. So I encourage you to. Just don't leave it in the hot car or the binding will melt because that's what happened to mine. It will melt. Or I had a Bible that uh, didn't melt, but it like the cover bent up and like curved. That's weird. And I could never get it to curve back. Interesting. (laughs) And those little pages don't like water. No, they don't. No. Yeah. Anyway. These have been little fun facts. (laughs) (laughs) These (laughs) pro tip, (laughs) don't leave it in the car and don't dump water on it. All right. Well, Linda, thanks for joining us. We've had an hey. excellent time with you yes. this yes. series. Yes, this is very fun. And thanks you will no doubt be back in the future. Jason, we're pals. Don't you think? I'm glad that you affirmed <laughs> that this week. Everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We love you. And come back next week. If you're a podcast listener and you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. And if you're thinking, hey, listening's great, but is there a way I can watch these episodes? Yeah, there is. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for video versions of these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you're already watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.